James chapter 2 and we're going to think tonight about what the English Standard Version here calls partiality. Uh, If you're using the New International Version it's called favoritism. Uh, Same thing, same thing. We're going to think about favoritism. So verse 1 of chapter 2 of James. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, well, you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And of course, you remember that church in James's time uh, did not have buildings, met in uh, houses or out of doors, so that he's referring to a church meeting in someone's house and that person uh, allocating seats might seem strange to us we don't have ushers in the Kailagan church this evening taking us to our seats and say well you can you can sit down the front or you can you can sit at the back um, but uh, that's that's why it's describing the situation here a situation where the host is showing favoritism and maybe James uh, had heard of it happening. Maybe James knew that it was happening. Uh, it certainly happened in the church in Corinth, uh, as we can understand from First Corinthians, you know, where the rich were taking the best seats at the table and eating all the food, and the poor were not getting food, even at the Lord's, even when they were celebrating the Lord's supper together. They were separated into different rooms. But favoritism is something we're all familiar with. Although it's quite hard to nail down when we see it happening sometimes. But uh, what my message tonight is that I want to help us to see and help me to see is that in God's family, in God's family, everyone is a favourite. And um, everyone is, or put it this way, everyone is favoured. And there aren't individual favourites. Either everyone is a favourite. It's not like some people are favourites. Everyone is favoured. Everyone is a a favourite. We live in a society of favouritism. And we've all been familiar with that. We've seen families where there's a favourite child. Maybe you've been that favourite child. Maybe you've been the favourite child of the teacher, the teacher's pet, uh, and in other contexts as we've grown up, you've maybe seen it in your workplace, uh, you've maybe seen it um, even in church, that there are there is a human tendency to favouritism. And because we're so familiar with it, it's easy to bring it into the church, and it's easy to think that God has favourites. And I want to address both of these things. 
because James is saying there should absolutely not be favoritism in the church or in our view of God himself. God has no individual favourites. If you have to say he has favourites, every one of his children. But probably better to say we're all favoured, but there's no favouritism with God. And so in verse 1, my brother, show no partiality or favouritism as you hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's showing us here how to have faith in Jesus. And one of the things about having faith in Jesus means you don't have favourites. You know that God doesn't have favourites. You know that in the church there must therefore be no favourites. So we don't show partiality to some above others. We don't have prejudices towards some over others or against some and not others. And the word literally means we don't receive faces. That is, uh, we don't look at people and judge them outwardly and say, well, you know, there's that person with the gold ring and the fine clothing. It actually struck me as I was reading it that I've got a gold ring on and I've got a Harris Tweed jacket which has to go some way towards being fine clothing. So I thought, am I the rich man? Well, of course, it's just my wedding ring, um, but... Uh, um, Sorry, I shouldn't say just. It is my wedding ring, yeah. And uh, I've had this jacket for quite a while, um, but it's 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 very warm and comfortable. Um, but at the same time, we have to be careful about this. Yeah, we have to be careful about this in the church. Uh, let me just quote one or two things just to back this up. Uh, first of all, one of them really struck me, and this was in Exodus chapter twenty-three in the Law of Moses. And we find in Exodus 23, verse 2, God says, do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. We were thinking about that this morning. Human nature, the crowd in Jerusalem called for the crucifixion of Jesus. Human nature uh, has a particular propensity to go wrong in the crowd. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, it says, do not pervert justice. By siding with the crowd. Uh, so we're called to be discerning. We're, we're called not just to say, well, you know, if it, if it says that it was this way, you know, in the daily record, then it must be like that. You know, if, if, uh, if everyone's making this judgment on my neighbor for what they've done, then that must be right. But we're to be discerning. And then it says this, do not show favoritism to a uh, fill in the blank, to a something person in a lawsuit. What do you think the blank is? I'm sure you remember this, but do not show person uh, favoritism to a what kind of person in a lawsuit. And you think, well, it's going to be a rich person, isn't it? Well, it isn't actually. It says, do not show favoritism to a poor person. <laughs> That's challenging us then, you know, to look at people and not be judged, be, be led even by our our sympathy uh, by taking pity on someone. Uh, so we must be careful and discerning in the way we look at things, not looking at the outward appearance, whether someone is rich in appearance or poor in appearance. 
Here's another example of, of favoritism, and this is from Acts 10, when Peter was called by God to go to the house of Cornelius. Peter uh, saw the Holy Spirit poured out on Gentiles, and he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Now, Peter, you know, really struggled with this. He really struggled with this. He, he really found it difficult to understand that in God's eyes, Jews and Gentiles alike uh, were, were the same. Yeah. He, he had so deeply ingrained the idea that Jews were God's favourites. And he really struggled. And here was where he began to realise it wasn't like that uh, at all. And how Peter struggled to, to, to keep that out of his life and out of the church as well. Uh, he really did struggle when he was in Antioch over this issue. So God has no favoritism. Let's make that a kind of heading. God has no favoritism. Favoritism is a sin. Pete James James says that absolutely and strongly. Verse nine. If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So if you show favoritism on the account of people's appearance, make a fuss about some people and sideline others or just, you know, just ignore others, you're showing favoritism. And it's a sin, says James. That's what he calls it. And in Romans 2 verse 11, it says quite plainly, there is no favoritism with God. God doesn't sin. God doesn't show favoritism. Favoritism is a sin. We maybe don't think of it in all the great lists of sins that we might make, but... uh, There it is. It's a sin. Now, let's try and figure out how God looks on things then. Because we've said already something about judgment. I said something about that in prayer as well. And in in the Psalms we sang, um, God judges people without favoritism. So Colossians 3 verse 25, anyone who does wrong, will be repaid for their wrongs. That's by God, of course. And there is no favouritism. So while we live in a society where there's favouritism all over the place, uh, when we come to God, there isn't going to be any favouritism. It's all going to be entirely on the basis of what you would call objective facts. He's not going to look at the person. He's not going to look at you and say, well, you know, you've got a gold ring on. Uh, or you belong to such and such a family, or you drive this car. He's not doing that. Uh, he's not going to look at you outwardly at all. And I, I, I don't know, I can't imagine how God sees you anyway, or me. I can't imagine what the vision of God is at this moment of you, uh, how he analyzes you, because he's not looking the way I'm looking from the, the pulpit here at you, and I'm seeing you all down there with your different expressions and your different clothes and so on. He doesn't look at us like that. God's, God doesn't have like physical eyes to kind of home in on that particular band of the spectrum that is light waves and to see you. God is looking into us in a, in a way that is 
thorough, complete, entire, and his knowledge of us is facts. It's not based on looks or hearsay. It's facts. He knows us completely and entirely. We sing that in Psalm 139. You are altogether familiar with all of my ways. You know me. So when God judges, he doesn't show favoritism. He's not going to look at the person. He's going to analyze the facts about the person. Um, we also see the lack of favoritism in God in the church in, in a very wonderful way in that the church is diverse. God has not just called, say, the Jewish people. He's not just called the rich into his church. He's not just called people uh, of a certain social class or economic class. He's, he's called all kinds of people. Um, you know, look at yourselves. We're not as, perhaps as diverse a group um, as uh, we'd like to be. Because we'd like to have people from Kalakan, uh, from all backgrounds, from all nationalities, uh, joining us together. And, but looking over the world as a whole, God has called a family which has an incredible diversity. You know, as it says in Revelation 7, people from every tribe and people and nation and tongue. And he's called the rich and he's called the poor. Here, as Paul says in in uh, Colossians 3, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And so you can, you can go across the world and you can meet brothers and sisters. Some of them will be living in mud huts, some of them will be, will be in palaces, you know, some of them uh, will be, will be people of great status and, and importance in their society and others uh, will be doing what might be considered menial jobs generally in society. But they're all brothers and sisters in Christ because God it doesn't show favoritism. He's not looking on the outward condition of people and saying, well, I'll just have these kind of people. He has a family that has every conceivable shape and size of person. Barbarian and Scythian. The barbarians uh, were those who didn't speak Greek. Greek was the language of the Mediterranean world in Paul's day. And uh, it was a, a kind of marker of who you were. You were, you were cosmopolitan. You were sophisticated. You were Greek. And then up north there were the barbarians. Way up in that place you know, Caledonia, way up there and places like that. They were the barbarians, in fact. And then, then there were the Scythians. The Scythians were, were like the worst of the barbarians. And Paul is saying, God calls Scythians. God calls barbarians. It's God's glory to call the people that we in our society might look down on. We might feel they're weird or they're strange or they're different or they're alien, they're foreign. And we have lots of words like that for people, don't we? But God has a family of diversity. You know we live in a society just now that keeps saying how important diversity is. When in fact 
uh, as a society, we're probably more against diversity than we than we ever were, uh, because there, you know if you don't fit certain categories, you don't approve of the politically correct thing, then you may very well and very easily find yourself ostracised and uh, you know non-platformed and, and uh, cancelled and so on. But God is not like this. God is the truly the God of true diversity and Christ is in all of his people and all shapes and sizes all backgrounds and what we are in the world counts for nothing to God he's not looking at the gold ring he's not looking at at uh, you know, the jewelry that we're wearing or you know any of the outward trappings that we have he just doesn't see it as being of any significance in terms of what you are as a person. He knows the facts about your soul. He has no favoritism. And he calls people whatever, regardless of their backgrounds, their family, their ethnicity, their, their money in the bank. He calls all kinds of people. So this is a wonderful thing. And... Uh, it's wonderful to know that Christ on that cross was dying for an absolutely wonderful diversity of people. It's wonderful to know that God puts his Holy Spirit into all kinds of people. And the, the, the picture that came to my mind, a strange picture perhaps, is... Um, these days, if you're recording music and you've, and you've got a band in front of you, uh, every instrument will have a microphone connected to it, one way or another. And then there's a person at a sound desk who has an individual slider for each microphone. Uh, and they can boost some instruments. And, you know, if the, if the bagpipes are too loud, they'll bring the bagpipes down a bit. If the guitar's not loud enough, they'll boost the guitar up. And so they can kind of, they can boost or reduce whoever they choose and uh, try and make a kind of even sound to their own mind and thinking well God doesn't do that with us he doesn't have preference for certain kinds of people in his family certain kinds of people in the orchestra of his family he doesn't he doesn't boost you know people with the you know with the surname of Rankin or MacDonald or whatever it happens to be and kind of bring back, you know, people who don't drive a certain kind of car and, and, you know, they've got a good bank balance to boost them up. He doesn't do that. You know, if you like, he just puts all the sliders up to full volume uh, and, you know, he accepts us as we are in Christ. Regardless of the outward trappings that we make to be so important, regardless of the the rings and the the, uh, fine clothing and so on. Our society doesn't do that. And as James says in verse 4, when uh, we make these kind of distinctions with the the rich man getting a good seat and the poor man getting uh, a place to stand or sit at my feet, verse 4, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? We are to be like our Lord. We are, uh, to quote verse 8, to love our neighbour 
as herself. No favoritism. Uh, we are to let mercy, verse 13, triumph over our petty judgments about what people are on the basis of their appearance. We're not to do that. We're to have mercy towards them. Uh, we are to, to be free of favoritism. We're not to show partiality. Because in that we'll be like our God. Now does this challenge you? Challenge me? Well it should do. It should do. Um, we should we should be unconditional with our mercy and with our love. Uh, with people and uh, I think it, it's exciting to think that the church that James is talking about could expect anyone to come in the door and I think that's wonderful that there would be times when you know the, the house door was open the church was meeting and a poor man would come in and other times when a rich man would come in and there was that understanding in the church you know, that the church could expect anyone. Now, we, we, we should be like that. But looking at us here tonight, we are from a fairly sort of narrow band of kinds of people uh, in, in the community here. And we want to challenge ourselves. And I think us uh, congregations of God's people, if we find it difficult... Another question in the, the POV report that, that uh, we'll be doing, and uh, we'll be looking at with the Glenelg Congregation, you know, um, is about, it's, it's really about, you know, the, the sort of diversity of the congregation. Uh, how representative is it with the diversity in the community? How welcoming is the congregation? And... Uh, I, I asked the congregation when they're asking that question to not just say the congregation is welcoming, but to look at themselves as individuals and think, am I welcoming? Do I welcome people? I don't mean that sort of everyone thinks, right, we better welcome this person. You smother someone that comes in. But just a sort of discerning welcome, like, okay, so there's actually no one speaking to this person. I know it's not easy for me to speak to this person because I'm, I'm shy or, you know, I, I don't know if I'll relate to them uh, well, but I'll go and do it anyway. Make the effort. You know, that's the sort of thing. Because we want the church to have all kinds of people. I want to be known in the community. Hey, the free church in Kalakan, they take anyone. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. And, uh, you know, they'll welcome anyone. Well, that is how we must be known, just as the church that James was writing to was known. Now, let's think about this a little bit more. God sees the inner truths about us. I've said that in verse, verse 5. Um, you know, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith? Well, James says, don't look at the outward clothes. Don't look at the shabby clothes. This person may be rich in faith. And that's what God sees. He's looking on the, the inner truth about the person. And, you know, really that is a challenge. You know, we do not know what's going on in a person. Someone might come in and it might be very easy for me or any of us to make a judgment on them just because of how they look. 
And we might not know that this person might be a giant in the family of God. Or that this person might not yet be in the family of God, but they will become a giant. You know, that God, God has a way of working that uh, confounds what we see of people and what we think of people. And often those who uh, we, using our little sliders, our volume sliders, whom we maybe pull down because we think less of them, God, God has them boosted to, to full volume in his, in his family. In fact, uh, in the opposite sense, uh, as it says in verse uh, 6, uh, don't dishonour the poor man. Uh, and the rich are often the cause of your trouble, James says. Uh, you know, why would you want to think, you know, make up a great fuss about a rich man? Because actually, you know that the church is being persecuted by rich people. Uh, they're being brought into court by rich people. The rich people are the ones who laugh most loudly at the name and the salvation of Jesus. That's often the case, says James. So think about inner truths, like not looking at how people look or what they drive or where they live or what their accent is, you know, what colour their skin is or anything, but looking about at inner truths. What are the <coughs> inner truths about the people around you? And really there, we're, we're just being called to say, you know, there are people around us who are without Christ. And there are people around us who have Christ. These are the inner truths about people. And we don't always know who these people are. Um, but what we do know is that if anyone has faith in Christ, they will be fully saved. And fully favoured by God. And so we must seek to treat everyone uh, with equality. And treat everyone without favouritism. Because uh, we know that any single person, whoever they are, can put their faith in Christ. And they will receive every bit as much as any other person who puts their faith in Christ an eternal inheritance my observation of young adults today is among many things that I, I see is that it's a great virtue among young adults uh, to consider um, or to try and treat people equally it seems to be uh, that they have this great virtue you don't want to judge people it seems to be a great sin in the eyes of uh, for our young people today, uh, you should accept people. You know, whatever they happen to be doing, whatever kind of look they have, whatever they're wearing, you know, whatever particular um, quirkiness may be true of their lives, uh, and that's a good thing. And and if we want to be able to bring in young people, we need to. Make sure we convey that to them. You're not going to be judged here. You're not going to be uh, put down here because of what you're wearing uh, or because this happens to be your view at this current time about this particular practice in society or whatever. We, we need to try and practice that, that acceptance of people 
as we seek to direct them towards faith in Jesus Christ. But let me just finish off asking the question, what does this mean about how we view ourselves? Because often, you know, we think the favoritism thing is about how we view other people, but it's also about how you view yourself. Because you may assign yourself a place in the church. It's very easy to do this. Um, You may, for example, think, you know, I am a rich person. Therefore, I expect certain things. I am a poor person. Therefore, I expect certain things. Or I don't expect certain things. You know, we may be like that. You know, I have this background. I don't have the background of these people in the church. Therefore, I expect things will be different for me. And uh, what I know about myself it makes me think that I really am someone who ought to have the, 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 the volume turned down on in the church um, because I'm ashamed, I'm troubled by my past, um, and, and so on. And we actually turn this on ourselves. And we, we make God show favourites perhaps of other people over us. Or even the other way around. Show, make us a favourite uh, as opposed to, to others. Um, just like the rich and poor in this passage. And how they may view themselves when they come at the church. They bring the way society treats them into the church. And so they expect the church to treat them the same way society treats them. And they expect God to treat them the same way as society treats them. But God looks at inner truths. And if the inner truth about you is indeed your past, your shame, eh, whatever, it's also, if you're a Christian, your forgiveness, your peace with God, your adoption into God's family. So we must be careful not to, to think of ourselves as we expect to be thought of by others. And as we think others think of us, and in the church, and in the society, and then think God thinks that of us too. There is no favoritism. We're all in an equal footing in Christ. We're all in the same, in the same status. Uh, Ephesians 6, 9, Paul writes, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten your slaves, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. So the slaves weren't to come to church, you know, or in our context, the employees aren't to come to church with the employers and expect because you've come to church with your employer and your employer's your boss and they're wealthy and you're not or whatever, that somehow that makes a difference. It doesn't in the church. It mustn't. And it certainly doesn't with God. So we mustn't assign places for ourselves. And not expect favoritism because God won't show us any. And not expect God to show others favoritism above us because God won't do that. Every single one of us has a place assigned for us and it's the same place. It's at the foot of the cross and it's seated in the heavenly places of Christ. You know, it's, we're all in the same place exactly in the mind and in the thinking of our living God God does not see you and me as we see ourselves doesn't look on you according to your present status in your own eyes or in the community's eyes or even in the church's eyes it means means nothing in the church to be an elder or a minister or a deacon or a member 
or not a member even. What matters is, are we in Christ? That's what matters. That's what matters. God does not see us according to the labels that we put upon ourselves. So when we uh, think about how we are in the church, uh, and I'm not preaching this because this is a, a problem I'm perceiving. I'm preaching this because a few weeks ago I spent some time meditating on this subject. And uh, this week when I, I was looking over stuff and I was thinking, oh, I remember that rich meditation on favoritism. And I remember how wonderful it was for me to think that my Father in Heaven hasn't got any favorites. So I'm not like down there somewhere, way down among the, the plebs in his family, if you like, and he's got lots of great guys up there and I'm never going to be one of them. You know, there isn't anything like that in God's family. We're all equal. Every single one of his sons and every single one of his daughters, we're all equal. No male or female, no rich or poor, no barbarian or Greek. You know, there are no distinctions in God's family. All his sons and all his daughters are equally loved, they're equally favoured, they're equally forgiven, completely forgiven, they're equally adopted, they equally belong, they're equally in Christ and share all the favours of Christ and all the inheritance of Jesus Christ. So with that, let me, let me finish. May God bless you and help you to live, as it says in verse 1, with faith in our Lord Jesus Christ that has no favouritism, either from you towards others or in your own mind towards yourself. And certainly not in the way you think about God. Uh, the kingdom of God banishes favouritism completely. There are no teacher's pets. There's no special people. Just everyone accepted as one in Christ Jesus. Amen.